Picture this scene with me, if you will. A desolate city lying in, lies in ruins. The walls are crumbling. The gates are blackened and burnt, lying on the ground, torn from their hinges. And a people, tired and grim, wander aimlessly through empty streets. This is the backdrop to the story of Nehemiah. The city of God's people lies torn apart. Almost a hundred years have passed since um, the decree of King Cyrus allowing the exiles from the land of Judah to begin to return. And yet there was work that was yet unfinished. And the people have grown discouraged. But God begins to move in the heart of a man willing to serve him. A man who cared about the people of God, who wept and prayed and went to do that work which remained unfinished. As we look at the book of Nehemiah, it is a firsthand account of Nehemiah's life and how God used Nehemiah to finish the work of rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. And often this is a book that we may read through rather quickly. Um, it's right after Chronicles and Ezra, which is full of all these lists of names and peoples and dates. And But Nehemiah is a book with a lot of action. And... Uh, It's a story more than just about rebuilding some physical walls of, of a random city. It's a story about the people of God gathered together. The people whom God had called to be as a light to the nations. This city was special because it was the place where God chose to dwell among his people. And we read an interesting account in 1 Kings chapter 11. And in that um, passage, God comes before King Solomon, who has been falling away from God and choosing the, to marry all these foreign wives. And God says to him that he will take away the kingdom. For the sake of David, he says, I will not do this during your lifetime. And also for the sake of his faithful servant David, and for the sake of the city which he had chosen, the city of Jerusalem, he chose to give one tribe, the tribe of Judah, to the descendants of King Solomon, King David. God had chosen Jerusalem as a place in which he would dwell with his people at that time. And so as we think about rebuilding this city, I want you to realize this is about more than building walls. This is about God building his kingdom through us and dwelling among us. And we see this theme of God dwelling among men all throughout the Bible. This is the way that God created the world to be in Genesis 1 and two, he walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. And even as we come to the end of Scripture, what is that beautiful vision that we see? It is that vision of God 
dwelling among his people in a new Jerusalem. The ultimate fulfillment of what this physical city is just a small picture, a small glimpse of what God is, is going to do. Indeed, when we think about God's mission of redemption, ever since the sin of Adam and Eve, this has been his desire to save a people who reconcile them to himself and to dwell with man. You know, this is a work that God continues to do today in his church and by his spirit. We just finished Ephesians. Well, where is it in Ephesians that God talks about this holy temple, this dwelling place for God that is being built up? It's in uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 to 22. And we see this imagery and we see um, just before that, God says that we have been brought together by the blood of Jesus Christ who died so that whoever believes in the Lord Jesus might enter into the kingdom of God and have a part in this dwelling place for God, this new Jerusalem. God is building his church today. And this city that is made up of God's people, that is made up of those who have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, is foreshadowed for us by God dwelling among the people of Israel in his chosen city, Jerusalem. I hope that's beginning to make sense to you because as we go through Nehemiah, we're going to continue to be reminded of how this work this rebuilding of the walls and the gates ultimately points us beyond that to the work that he's doing in his people today. God is still restoring. He is still protecting. He is still sanctifying his people. And in Nehemiah's day, the work remained unfinished, but so too today, the work is not yet done. It is finished in Jesus Christ, but it plays out in history as God calls his people whom he has chosen to himself. And like Nehemiah, God wants us, you and I, his church, those who have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ alone for salvation, to care about him, wants us to be a people who love his people and his work. I want to turn in your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 1. We'll read the whole chapter, verses 1 to 11, and we really see not only the, the introduction to this unfinished work that God has but, and the obstacles, but also we see a man who cares about the things of the Lord and who turns to the Lord in let's read uh, 
Nehemiah chapter 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev in the 20th year, as I was in Susa the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, The remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you've redeemed by your great power. And by your strong hand, O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and to give and give success now to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was cupbearer to the king. If we look back in verse 1 of Nehemiah chapter 1, we see the story of Nehemiah begins in, in the month of Chislev. That would be about our month of November, December, roughly. Um, during the reign of King Artaxerxes, the sixth king of Persia, and we remember that the book of Ezra reminds us that in the reign of King Cyrus, the first king of Persia, he had decreed that the people might return to their homeland. And Nehemiah was currently serving at the king's winter fortress in Susa. And he receives a visit. Now, we're not told if his brother and his countrymen came to visit him specifically. Were they on business? We do know that when Nehemiah saw his brethren... His first thought was about the people of Jerusalem. How are they doing? How is the city? He asked. You have to remember that Nehemiah was in a pretty good position. He was certainly well taken care of and attending the king in his palace. But even in his comfort and his position and power, he cared 
about the people of God and he could not forget his brothers and sisters. He wanted to know how they were doing. It's good to ask, what news is there of so-and-so? And, and what, what's happening in that, that work over there or, or here in this place to be concerned about what God is doing and what is going on in the lives of his people. Like Nehemiah, we should care, care about God's people in such a way that we will inquire after them and, uh, and really want to know how they're doing. Talk a little bit more about this later, but I want us now to turn to the reply that Nehemiah was given. He asked for it and he got the news and it wasn't the news that maybe he hoped for. And in Nehemiah 1 verse 3, they said to me, the remnant there in the province that had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. This is not a good situation. The people were afflicted. They were in trouble. They were ashamed in some way. Discouraged. Because of the situation around them. And the city was was in ruins. The walls were broken and the gates were burned by fire. God's dwelling place, God's people were defenseless and dishonored. Now that doesn't mean that the exiles hadn't done any work at all. They were building the temple and, and, uh, you know, uh, Ezra did a work of reforming the people and and, uh, calling them back to the Lord. And so it's not as though they had been left on their own. And yet there was this work that was wanting. The walls and gates remained unfinished. Well, why, would, why does this matter? Well, first of all, just think in the context of any city at that time. To have your walls break, broken down and your gates burned is kind of like a scary situation to be in. This isn't a, you know, you, you no wonder they were ashamed and, and scared and discouraged. Because they were left defenseless. But in that, interestingly enough, not only does Nehemiah build the walls, but more importantly, he reminds them about God. And and all throughout the book of Nehemiah, we see the hand of God and his work. And that ultimately is the even greater thing to remember. When the walls are crumbling and the, the gates are broken, God is with us, and he will help us to do his work. God's going to look after his people. And as Matthew Henry put it, he, he said, Every Jerusalem this side of the heavenly one will have some work yet to be done that will yet require the help and service of its friends. So he's pointing out that there's, you're never going to come to this place where, oh, everything's perfect, right? All the work is done. We can just sit on our, uh, relax. And 
No, God is continually reminding us that we need him. And there's, there is yet, as long as he has us on this work, um, there is something that he has for us to do. And um, at that time, the work of God was to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. God continues now to, to work, to renew us, to refine us into a people who to love him and serve him, who are measured up to the full measure of the stature of Christ, as we read in the book of Ephesians. Now this news was a shock to Nehemiah. Verse 4, he sat down immediately. And he didn't just sit down because he was shocked, but he was moved to tears. He was so concerned to hear of the unfinished work and of the oppressed state of the people and their fear and their sin and their discouragement that he wept for days. And he prayed and he fasted. You know, we're going to see next week, not only does he fast and he pray and he grieve, but he goes and acts in faith as God leads him to take on this work of rebuilding. But sometimes we jump to that, oh, we got to do something. What is the first thing that Nehemiah does? The first thing that really should precede our action is that we care. That this actually affects us in our spirit. It's not some sort of thing to tackle because we want to conquer something, but because we love the people of God. The distresses and the difficult situations and circumstances and troubles of the church should be a matter of our grief. In Romans 12, 15, Paul tells us to Rejoice with those who rejoice, yes, but he also says that we should weep with those who weep. And there are many Christians, many of our brothers and sisters who are weeping. And so our lives may remain relatively pleasant and untouched by the troubles around us if we don't bother to get our hands into that stuff. We hold ourselves off from this. But at the very least, we ought to grieve over the sin and suffering of the saints. If we truly believe that we're a child of God, we believe that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. So we, those who are the people of God, ought to care enough to grieve. Those who care about God's people should not only inquire about the people of God, but grieve with them also. That isn't the end of it. He just doesn't just drown in his tears. How does Nehemiah respond to this news that the city of God was defenseless? The people were in a panic. They were struggling in this affliction. Well, he responds to some bad news with prayer, doesn't he? In verse 5, he turns to the only one who can bring good out of a bad situation. But I know this isn't some new message for you. You've heard to pray before, 
But that's all the more reason for us to respond to these difficulties and these distresses by taking it to the Lord in prayer. When we deeply care about our brothers and, and sisters in Christ, we will approach the throne of grace and intercede on their behalf because we care, because we know to whom we can go for help. Just want to touch on a couple of the aspects of, of Nehemiah's prayer. It's a wonderful prayer. It's one of those prayers like the prayer of Ezra in Ezra 9 or the prayer of Daniel, these men of God who cared about God's people. And uh, we just look in verse 5. Nehemiah appeals to God, and he says, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night. He appeals to God's greatness and his glory, this great and terrible, awe-inspiring God with the reverence that is due Him because He knows His glory and His power. And He goes on to appeal to God's relationship with His people, this covenant, a relationship of love that He had established with them. We read in verse 10 that the, Nehemiah is like, this is your people whom you redeemed. With your strong hand. So recalling the words of Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 9 verses 25 to 29. And in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses is recounting the giving of the law and the commands to the second generation after they had, the first had fallen away. They didn't, they were too afraid. They did not trust the Lord. And so Moses wants to start them off with this reminder. And this is what Moses prayed on Mount Sinai for the people of God. Deuteronomy 9.25 So I lay prostrate before the Lord for those 40 days and 40 nights because the Lord had said he would destroy you. And I prayed to the Lord, O Lord God, do not destroy your people and your heritage, whom you've redeemed through your greatness, whom you have brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand. In verse 29, for they are your people and your heritage, whom you brought out by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Ultimately, when we appeal to this great and awesome God. We can only come to Him on the basis of Jesus Christ and His love, His covenant of love for us that was inaugurated by shedding His own blood. That we can say that we are His people whom you have redeemed by your strong hand. To remember that as we pray for one another. He also, Nehemiah, we see, 
takes sin seriously. He confesses not only the sin of the people, he's not pointing fingers, but he includes his own part in the sin. And he says uh, in 1 verse 6, even I and my father's house have sinned. It's an attitude of humility and repentance that comes with, with those who want to be used of God. Then he appeals to God's word. You see later on in Deuteronomy, Moses lays out that God had said that if you, if you follow me, I will be with you. If you abandon me and go your own way, that, that I will scatter you. But if you return to me in his mercy, God had always said that I will gather you again. And as we read in Nehemiah's prayer, from the uttermost parts of the heavens, if they were as far away as... <laughs> Some other galaxy, he would bring them back. That is the love that God has and his mercy. And then he petitions the Lord in verse 11 to listen, to grant success and mercy from this man, from the king. In all this, though that's just such a brief little some brief thoughts about the prayer, can see Nehemiah's attitude towards the troubles of the city and the people of God. He did not rush to the king in haste. He went to the Lord. Nehemiah is going to go on in this book to act and to build and to lead and to equip. But first and foremost, he is moved in his spirit to turn to the Lord. There is no other person that we can turn to. The only unfailing resource that we have, only refuge we have in time of trouble is God. And that's why it's so important to remember Him as we go to Him in prayer. To remember his greatness, his power, his mercy, and his covenant of love that he has made with those who believe in his son. In our passage, Nehemiah stands out as a man of faith. He's one who cares about God and his people, who goes to the Lord in the time of trouble. I just want to take a few minutes now to apply these things to our lives. The person who cares about God and his people, first of all, inquires about God's people and his work. Our passage began with Nehemiah asking, how are the people of God? In the same way, when we say that we care about God's people, we ought to show that in asking one another how we're doing. Is our first thought to ask about the well-being of one another? To find out how we're really doing. These are areas in which I, we can continue to grow in together. Why is this so important? 
So when we look at what God's word says, it's blatantly hypocritical to say we love God if we do not love his people. It just is. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And what is his commandment? It's, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. So how can we say that we love one another if we don't seek to know one another on some deeper level than how are you? I'm fine. Let's move on. Kind of a relationship. We need to care more than that. And as we know the love of God and his love for his people, we will begin to inquire and ask how one another is doing. How can we claim, I was thinking about this and I was really convicted of this, how can we claim to love the brothers and sisters in Asia if we don't really know what's going on? among our brothers and sisters overseas. I was studying this passion. I was, I was seeing, you know, Nehemiah cared about the people and, um, and he wasn't with them and he wanted to know how they were doing. And, you know, I received a uh, Voice of the Martyrs newsletter. I received them every month. And it was about two weeks ago or, or so, I think, that this one came. And I just realized... Like I skimmed through it and I read like one article thoroughly and I was like, I was inspired, you know? And I prayed for about five minutes and then forgot about the people in India who are being beaten and who are imprisoned. And I'm just, don't we care about this? And some of, a lot of it is we just don't even care enough to, to find out. But here I had this knowledge. I had this, I had an opportunity here and I didn't really take it just convicted that I need to care and to really grieve as well as we're going to talk about and pray for the people of God. It's not a crazy difficult thing to ask how somebody's doing. And I know like sometimes we, we got this culture of, well, I'm good, right? Or, or you know, something like that. And, and so sometimes it's also in the response. And there's a both, it goes both ways. But I just want to challenge us that we, you know, we talk about love, we say we care. How are we going to show that? In, in seeking to be involved in one another's lives. I know it can be uncomfortable, but that's relationships for you. I think it's comfortable always being in a relationship with God. No, not necessarily, but the Spirit of God, here's what I want to encourage you with. Spirit of God is working in us if we have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this is something that we can trust in Him on. Lean on Him. We have to surrender our ways and look to Him to guide us and to be willing to be faithful. In doing these things. And I believe that. The 
the Spirit of God that is within us will enable us to get to know not only one another in a deeper way as we grow in the Lord, but also to, to grow in our understanding and our love for those believers around the world. Not only are we to inquire, but to grieve with. Because we could ask how one another's doing and not really care, you know. I'll just get that out of the way, you know. Nehemiah didn't think to himself, oh, that's their problem, those poor people, you know. If they'd only gotten their act together and, and done this uh, 50 years ago, that's not what he thinks. He mourns at this unfinished work, and he was saddened. think Sam Perry, a man that I was just reading some of what he said about Nehemiah, and he pointed out that to be so moved to grief, again, that requires God's spirit at work in our lives. And that is what marked Nehemiah. Okay, he wasn't some awesome, special person who just was just amazing. He just cared about people so much. God was working in his life. And so if we want this kind of a care for one another, we need to ask him that he would give us this kind of a heart, that we would be able to weep and to fast and to pray over the state of the people of God. I'm not one to say the church is going down the tube and there's nothing we can do about it. I think God is bigger than that. But I don't think it's in any way inaccurate to say that the North America is a post-Christian culture. And that makes for difficulties in maybe different ways than other places in the world are experiencing. But do we care when churches compromise on doctrine or morality that there are Christians in North America who don't really seem any different than the world, and I can look at my own life and say, honestly, this week, Matt, you were a grump. You, you were sick for a couple of days there, and you were just, if somebody saw you, it's convicting. But I, I remember again, it's the Spirit of God and His work, right? And in sickness and in whatever we may experience, whatever troubles, we can trust in the Lord. None of these things, the suffering, the sin that we see in the church, it's not new. That doesn't make it any less significant. God himself is grieved by the sin and suffering of his people. Should we not care also? So let's not ignore the problems and the pain, but grieve. Grieve at the very core of our being over these things. And thirdly, let's pray because we ought to go to the one who can actually bring change and hope, who can bring, <laughs> who can do the work. In our grief, do we turn to the Lord?
for comfort, for strength, for the comfort and strength of those that we're praying for. Like Nehemiah, we who care about God's work can pray with passion, pray with perseverance, because we know that there is this unfinished work that God has. As Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And so God wants his people like Nehemiah, to care enough to inquire about the needs of our brethren, to grieve over the sin and the suffering that we see in the people of God, just as God himself grieves, and to pray for the people of God going to the only one who can help. I want to ask you to commit with me to surrendering your ways to God. Asking him to give his, you his love for his people. You know, God rejoices to see his children involved in his work. He rejoices to see those who care deeply about his kingdom we look forward to that day when we shall be in the presence of the Lord for all eternity with one another. May God grant us grace to be filled with more of his spirit and to love one another well. Amen.